to start a uh, new study of the book of Romans, and actually we're going to study Romans 9 through 10. We're going to jump right in to the middle of the book. And, uh, and so we've had all this other stuff going on. We're going to take a, we're going to take a trip to uh, Rome. I know uh, Vicky's been there. Anybody else been to Rome or Italy? Or Okay, Jeremy, you've been there? You've been to Rome, seen the Colosseum? Yep. And all these fine things. So two of you have been there, which is kind of cool. Um, why are we studying this now? We're going to look at the mystery of the meaning of the book of Romans. And so you want to turn there. Why we do the study now? I've given you uh, five reasons, and let's go through theirs. First of all, we have not done an ex- expositional study, expositional study of a book for a while. We always ground our studies in the scriptures, and we've done that. You know that for this past. A year and just all the whole time I've been here, but uh, we haven't studied a book for a while, and 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 it just we need to periodically do that and 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 focus on that. And so here's what we're going to do. Secondly, a study of the Book of Romans and chapters nine through ten in particular particular fits with the topical and theological themes we've been studying this past year. Actually, it's literally past year from ever since about like last October. Uh, we have been studying. Uh, the ideas of, is Jesus the only way of salvation? Uh, what about those who have never heard? How does God in his sovereign uh, power, in his sovereign purposes, how does he save people and get his saving message to people who have never heard? And is Jesus the only way? We've talked about children and their salvation, and, and what about babies, and, and are they saved, are they able to be saved? We've been talking about a lot of this. It's been in the news, and we've been talking about it, and we've been talking about how all of it comes down to this. There's a need for us to share the gospel with everyone, a need to share the gospel with everyone. And Romans 9 through 10 touches on every one of those topics. Everything that we have been studying, so I, I, it's just a theme that I think God has for us to focus on. Thirdly, a study of Romans 9 through 11 is going to prepare our hearts for the upcoming uh, World Outreach Celebration. Always excited about how it's, it's uh, I say excited, excited once the process of finding uh, the missionaries to come. It's, a, it's an agonizing process that takes a lot of prayer and a lot of work to accomplish and i am thankful next year i have them all lined up in the process of finding them for this year i was able to line up uh next year as well but this year we've got six special guests coming and our theme is sent and the reason for that is it really reflects the missionaries that are becoming here we've got uh two couples that are going to amsterdam netherlands we've got a couple that's going to mongolia of all places, a couple that's going to Pakistan. You know, if you think that uh, uh, North Africa uh, is difficult for a missionary to be sent to, then Pakistan is even higher on that threat level. Uh, uh, And then um, the Nisleys are going to be with us, uh, as you know, going to the Philippines. And the climax of that's going to be, well, here's the thing that all those couples have in common. First of all, they're all young, and they're all just starting out. And they're all being sent. And so that's why we're focusing on they, they They've all been sent. And they've be, been sent to to a, quite a variety. I mean, Amsterdam's your most uh, one of the most atheistic, uh, agnostic, hard fields. And then Mongolia 
is the outer reaches there, Pakistan, very hostile, uh, often to Christianity. And then um, the Nicely's, we're going to focus on them being sent uh, as part of our church. Now, their sending church is, uh, is Jordan's home church in Hutchison, as you guys know, Tim Adrian's church. And uh, But Nikki's out of our church, and she was formed and shaped, so we're, we're kind of her sending church, at least we think so. I don't know how she views that, but we view it that way. And thanks to your faithful faith promise giving, uh, we are the number one financial supporter of that couple. And so if nothing else, you know, uh, where your heart is, that's where your treasure goes. And, uh, and so we have a significant role to play, and it's been a privilege since they've been hanging out with Bill and Sandra a little bit. Uh, Jordan comes in here to work, and so it's really provided an opportunity to invest in him. And again, I don't know if he thinks he's being mentored, but uh, you know, from our end, that's what we're doing. And uh, so we're going to use that Sunday of World Outreach to uh, commission them and send them. They're about at 70, 75. We need to keep praying. Uh, they, they, they need to get out of here. Okay, it's time for them to go. Okay, they've done their, they've learned all their deputation things, right? Time for them to go. It's definitely because they're kind of headquartering in the uh, in the house uh, uh, home. And as you see on the uh, table there, you have an invitation to Bill Bill's retirement party. A retired man doesn't want his kids hanging out in his home, and so it, it's just time for them to go. They want to go. They're needed back there, uh, needed back in in the Philippines, and so it's going to be very exciting. So sent. These are all sent ones. And uh, we play a role in that. And not only are they sent, but they are sent to all peoples for the fame of his name. Well, anyway, I don't want to get too far afield on that. But turn to Romans 10, right in the middle of Romans 9 through 11. And it's really this passage and these folks coming in October that really led me to, let's just do Romans 9 through 10, uh, 9 through 11. Look at Romans 10 verses 14 through 15. Nestled in these three chapters is probably one of the most important missionary passages for getting the gospel to all peoples. And here's what it says. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How will the Mongolians call on him who they have not believed? How will the hardened atheists in Amsterdam call on him who they have not believed. How will those in Pakistan who have been indoctrinated and immersed in a Muslim culture of works with no hope, and the only sure way to go to heaven is to practice jihad as a terrorist for Muhammad? How shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are what? Sent. Sent. Circle that. Here's this process. He's going all the way down. And what is at the core of the process? What is the critical, fundamental thing that must be done? They must be sent. And so we're going to have these six couples here. And they are sent. And yet we are sent. And it says... How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Well, there's this great passage in the midst of these three chapters, 
And uh, so we're going to look at all three chapters and see how they relate to that. Instead of just diving in and just pulling those passages out, we're going to study Romans 9 through 11, and we're going to see there is great missionary passion in those chapters. Number four, fourth reason. A study of Romans 9 through 11 will, by God's grace, fill our hearts with a passion for reaching the diverse cultures and people groups that are right here in the Northland and around our church. I hope by the time we're done this morning, you're going to see that the city of Rome, though only two of us in this room have actually visited there, we basically live in Rome. That Kansas City, the metropolitan area, and actually any major city in our country is very much like Rome. And the, and the, the, the purposes of God that we're going to study for reaching the world are as relevant today in the 21st century for us here in Kansas City as they were in the first century for the people of Rome. So I hope it's going to challenge us as well. And by God's grace, it will. And then fifthly, a study of Romans 9 through 11 is one of the most challenging parts of the New Testament. I, I, as I, I mean, I knew this. And, uh, and so anyway, I don't like shying away. I, we shouldn't shy away from the hard parts of the Bible. And for one thing, uh, you know, it's what I've been trained to do, and so I, I enjoy doing that. But also, here's the thing. What I have found in doing that, in studying the hard parts of the Bible, you find that they're filled with, with just, uh, they're, they're filled with rich meaning. I mean, they're rich in meaning. Just because they're hard doesn't mean that they don't have a lot. I mean, they're hard because they have a lot to teach us. And so they're rich in meaning. They're filled with mystery. That's why they're hard. Usually the hard parts of the Bible have to do with a concept of God that we just can't get our minds around. They have to do with a perspective that God has, like Job. Job's a hard book to really study because it's God's view of suffering. And he looks at it totally different than we do. Well, in Romans 9 through 11, we're going to look at salvation. And God looks at salvation often totally different than we do. So they're rich in meaning. It's filled with mystery. Uh, but they also show how God's majesty, his sovereignty, applies to everyday life. So this is going to be challenging. And so, I w- number one, I, I always ask you this, but I ask you especially for this when, when, when we have a topic like this. I appreciate you praying for me for the next uh, th- months as we go into World Outreach. Would you pray for me every week as I study this, that, that I wouldn't get lost, in the, in, in, that I wouldn't drown in the depths? of these chapters that, that, I, that I would be able to comprehend and, and put together lessons for you that are practical, meaningful, that would give you a higher view of God, a, a clearer view of yourself and the greater needs of the world. Uh, now, Romans 9 through 11 is interesting. It, it's one of the hardest parts of the Bible. Some say it didn't actually belong to the original letter. Some people, if you take, well, let's just do this very quickly. Romans, uh, look at Romans 8, 37 through 39. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Romans 1 through 8 climaxes with uh, these three verses. And it's talking about the great security of our salvation in Christ. Look at Romans 8, 37 through 39. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't get any more triumphant than that. Amen? 
Isn't that encouraging? Now turn to Romans 12.1. Turn to Romans 12.1. What more natural response could you have to the securing, saving love of God in Jesus Christ then Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You know, Romans 8, what we just saw. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what do you see there? That just makes all the, the, the sense in the world, does it not? But go back to Romans 9. That's not what Paul did. Okay, in Romans 9, here's what he did. He has this triumphant, uh, you know, we're secure in Christ. And then he says in Romans 9, 1, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I, so, so he's like this, he, he's, he's discouraged, he's, he's depressed, he's sad. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. And so what liberals have said is, this 9 through 11 stuff doesn't fit. I, originally, he wrote 8, and then he wrote 12. Remember, the chapters are not, you know, they're not inspired. And so it doesn't really belong there. Well, conservative Bible believers that believe God inspired the Bible and what we have is what God intended and what was actually written, they say it belongs. It, it, there's a purpose for this, but often they ignore 9 through 10. Uh, in fact, they'll preach for months, even years, on Romans 1 through 8, and then message on 9, a message on 10, a mention on 11, and then they'll do five, six messages on chapter 12. And, and so they'll say, yeah, it belongs there, but they don't really practice what they preach in, in looking at it. Now, many believers are uncomfortable with Romans 9 through 10 because of the clear teaching on God's sovereign election in chapter 9. So chapter 9, they're like, oh, okay, it's there, but let's move on. Chapter 10, because of the passage I just read about missions, well, now let's really camp out there because, look, missions and, and the Romans road climaxes in chapter 10. As many as believe and confess, uh, believe in their heart and confess with the mouth, thou shalt, uh, they shall be saved. And so, man, you know, let's, let's get beyond 9, let's get to 10, and then 11 kind of gets left in the dust. So I think that it's, it's a challenging thing. And I think by jumping right into 9 through 11, it's really the heart of the book. It's the heart of the book. And if we understand this, we're going to understand what came before it and what follows after it. And so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to just dive in and, and take a look at this. Now, I have in there talking about mystery. We're going, to, we're going to skip that for today. I had a brain freeze there and stuck that in. At that point, and this morning I'm looking at that, I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, we will come back to that. We will talk to, about mystery. Right now, let's just dive into the introduction to the book. And let's look at the first part of this, evangelizing the church at Rome. And Audrey, I'm going to need a battery. My battery is low on this. And so uh, let's take a look at this. Evangelizing the church at Rome. The city of Rome, 
is, uh, let, let's first we're going to look at the city of Rome, and then we're going to look at the church at Rome. So let's begin with the city. Uh, first of all, it's the capital, the capital of the fourth world empire uh, of the world. Okay, it was the empire of the world. It's the largest and most important city of its day. All right, now we're better. It was the largest and most important city of the day. Here's what one commentator writes about it. It was the eternal city, which had given them peace. It had brought peace to the world. It was the fount of law. It had provided law and order, so to speak. It was the center of civilization. It was the mecca of poets, orators, and artists. While at the same time, it was the home of every kind of idolatry and debauchery possible. In other words, it was a big city that had big problems. Okay, and that's the second thing I want you to see. This, this was a mega city with all the mega problems. It was a mega city with all the mega problems that come with urban living on a large scale. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, we think of, of cities in the Bible, uh, even New Testament cities, kind of like villages, overgrown villages. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's hard to imagine what they were really like. But, but honestly, and of course, it's easier now that we have the History Channel and the National Geographic Channel. They have some amazing things. When you see things, half of it you want to ignore because it's just a bunch of uh, uh, baloney when they talk about Bible stuff. But when they talk about the foundations of Rome, they'll talk about the, uh, the urban system. They'll talk about the roads, the, the, the waters. There, there's one uh, show that I watched just talked about the Roman baths and how they pumped hot water. I and mean, it's just, these are urban centers. I mean, these are, are mega cities like what we live in. And so here's some of their mega problems. First of all, they had mega density. The population uh, varies in estimates from one to four million. I know that's a pretty wide estimate, but that's what I have found. One to four, but, but I think it was the four million side of that. Now, Kansas City metropolitan area, one and a half million, am I right? One and a half million. And so, huge, just huge. And you've got to understand, back then, that many people in one location, uh, while they were very civilized and advanced, it was still very crude and rough uh, to mass that many people. Mega density. And that's why when Rome burned, it just, it just you know, ignited the whole city because they were just so packed in there. So many people died and so many buildings uh, would, were easily caught on fire. Secondly, mega diversity. There was mega diversity. You've got this city of, uh, of one to four million people that with little over half of them were free citizens and the rest being slaves and foreigners. So can you imagine you've got free Roman citizens comprising about a little over half, and yet nearly half are comprised of all slaves, slaves and foreign people. So you have this real diversity, this real mix. And when you have that kind of diversity and that half, over half the population being enslaved, which again was a little different, you know, they were hired servants. It's a little different dynamic than American slavery, but you had mega poverty. You had mega poverty. Uh, the vast majority of even the free people were poor. So the vast majority of the entire population was poor, lived on public or private charity. 
Now, is this starting to sound familiar to the news? Is this starting to sound familiar to the city that we live in and the country that we live in? And basically, in their poverty, here's what they want. And we, we are becoming so much like this. They, they wanted bread. The, the, the government would give them bread to keep them satisfied, to keep them quiet, okay? It's like getting a tax break to calm you down for another year. It's like giving you a little extra, you know, just, okay, just as long as we will drive down fuel prices a little bit, make everybody happy for a while, drive down food prices. That's basically the same idea as give them some bread, keep their stomachs filled, and from getting too out of hand. They love going to the, the games of the circus and the savage delight of gladiator, gladiatoral shows. I mean, increasingly, here's what they want. Bread and games. Bread and games. Entertain me. Does that sound familiar? And satisfy me. My physical appetite. My physical appetite and my sensual pleasure. Keep those things going. Keep my cable going. And give me reasonable gas prices, and we won't riot in the streets. And we see around the globe in these mega cities. And we see it just this past week on the plaza. London, in the streets of London. And people are saying, wow, the the breakdown of society, the breakdown of culture. Well, listen, that's already happened. And how do you keep a lid on that? Keep them entertained, and, and, and uh, unfortunately, on our cable TV and, and our, our movies and in our music, there we cannot feed on. In, we cannot entertain, entertain ourselves with a constant diet of violence and not expect that to break out in our culture. But that's something that we as parents, and actually just we as individuals, ought to monitor. In not in our kids, I'm talking about in our own. You know, feeding on that. Well, this is what they were doing. It was just savage. And, and, and eventually, you know, and, and blood sport is becoming more popular on television. And eventually, it'll get to the point where we were in Rome. You say, oh, that, no, yes, that is where we're headed, to where there'll be actual deaths that, that is entertainment. Well, this, is, it, mega, this all leads to the fourth problem, which was mega depravity. Depravity. They, they, it was a city that lived for immediate gratification of self, sensual pleasures, violent entertainment. They glorified and even deified athletic competition. Does that sound like us? I mean, they literally made gods out of their sports heroes. You'd swear I was talking about us, not, uh, not the first century. And their religion was secular humanism and polytheism. Well, this was a city that uh, had mega problems. And one of their biggest problems, number three, was a long history of racial tensions. A long history of racial tensions between Jews and Gentiles. And I hit that because that's addressed in the book. In fact, all these problems are addressed in the book. Why? Because this was a church in where? Rome. And you've heard the whole saying, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, unfortunately... You don't have to tell people to do that. We do that. When in Kansas City, you live like a Kansas City person. You take on the attributes, the thinking, the worldview of the culture around us. Yet we are called out of Rome. We are called out of Kansas City to be a church of called out ones. And yet the racial tension between Jew and Gentile, it took place in the church. And so we're going to see that Paul's really going to address that. Well, Rome had a love-hate relationship with God's chosen people. 
basically, you've heard of on-again, off-again relationships. Oh, you're the greatest. No, get out of here. I can't stand you. Well, that's kind of how they felt about the Jews. And I have in your notes there just kind of a history of this on-again, off-again. Uh, the reason there were so many Jews in Rome is because Rome had conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC and had brought captive Jews back. So there's a great start to our relationship. Okay, you're in Rome because we conquered you and we made you, moved you to Rome. Okay, this isn't good. They became numerous under generally favorable attitude of the early emperors. Reminds me of the Jews in Egypt under the pharaohs. And God's chosen people are always going to be blessed, okay? And they prosper wherever they are, so they prosper. But in that prosper, prosperity comes jealousy, envy, and ultimately the desire to, to squelch them. And because of continued disturbances among the Jews in the city, due to their stubborn adherence to their national customs, religious traditions, they were expelled from the city uh, by the edict of the emperor Claudius. And you can read about that in Acts 18 too. A couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, who some of you are familiar with, a couple that helped Paul plant churches by opening their homes. They were kicked out. So they, they said, look, you guys are so much trouble. We brought you here. Now, get out. We're going to kick you out. Okay. Again, kind of reminiscent of the immigration issues in our country. You know, there was a time when we opened, come, bring us your, 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 your masses, your huddled masses. And now we're building fences and walls. Just very interesting. Racial tension. But, but then, after a while, as these things cycled, they began to return under great, in great numbers under Nero. In fact, we now know there's at least 13 synagogues. They're still known in Rome today. And Aquila and Priscilla returned with them. So they were kicked out, and they were back. And the reason we know they were back, because at the end of the letter, Paul says, Greet Aquila and Priscilla. So, so this drama is part of the Bible. Well... Rome's depravity, Rome's religious decay made them very open to the morals and the teachings of Judaism. And so whole masses of Roman Gentiles became followers of Judaism without going all the way and being circumcised and actually becoming Jews. Well, then the gospel comes in. And, you know, the gospel, many Jews uh, or some Jews came to Christ, but many of those who had been following Judaism but didn't go, wanted to go all the way to become circumcised were immediately attracted to Jesus as Messiah and they became Christians. So what happens is you get this church at Rome that has all these problems because all these people are getting saved and they're bringing those problems into the church. Does that make sense? Racial tension. It'll make more sense as we follow along. So, so that's the city in Rome. Let's look at the church in Rome. How was the church planted? First thing I want you to know is it's impossible to determine when Christianity was first introduced in Rome. It's impossible to determine when Christianity was first introduced at Rome. Now, there's basically three views. Let me give them to you. The first view is the Roman Catholic Church. Obviously, the Roman Catholic Church has a great interest in Rome. And, of course, who was the first, in their teaching, who was the first pope? The Apostle Peter. And so to put their scenario together, they say that the church at Rome was founded by Peter, the first pope, and this is the true church, the one church, and it all started in Rome. Well, that's great, except the Bible doesn't teach that. 
And in fact, history is against that. Um, First of all, one way we know that's not true is look at Romans chapter 1. The apostle... uh, Or, uh, I'm sorry, it's Romans 16. Romans 16. Or 15, 15. Romans 15. The beginning and the ends are very familiar. He says uh, in Romans 15, verse 20, I've made it my aim. He says, the reason I want to come to Rome is I've made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So he's saying, look, the reason I want to go to Rome, one of the reasons, is it's in keeping with my practice of not building on another man's foundation. Now, if the church at Rome had been built by Peter, what would he be doing if he went there? Building on another man's foundation. So that kind of disrupts this idea that it was started by Peter. So how was it started, and why could... And and if he doesn't build on another man's foundation, then... How could he go there? Okay, this, this doesn't make sense. Well, here's what probably happened. First of all, on the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over Rome had come to Jerusalem, from all over the world had come to Jerusalem, including Rome. And there, the church was born, the gospel was preached by Peter, as well as the other apostles, and Jew, Jewish people got saved. Well, after a while, where would these people from Rome go they would go back to rome and having hung out in jerusalem with the new church they would know how to gather as a church how to worship as a church and so literally that church could have been started not by an apostle but by merely by jewish people getting saved experiencing the church at jerusalem and then finally migrating back to rome and saying hey let's do here where we live, where we're from, what we experience in Jerusalem. And very likely that happened. But the church wasn't made up of, the church at Rome wasn't mainly made up of Jewish Christians. It was made up of Gentile Christians. So how'd they get there? Well, they got there the same way Aquila and Priscilla. We've already seen that people were moving back and forth, like any major city. You know, you go to New York, and I, in fact, I was talking to... Uh, I don't know if I was to, who I was talking to. Is it New York or maybe it was Nashville? I think it was your daughter, Jerry, talking to your daughter about Nashville. It's one these ma- major cities are hubs where people. Well, basically, you're not declared from being there. No, I was. It was. It was New York. I was talking to someone at Taft, New Yorker. You're not a New Yorker until you've lived there ten years. Now, why is that? Because people are just in and out, in and out. And so here's what happened. More than likely, is converts from the Apostle Paul, Gentile converts, eventually moved to Rome. And when they moved to Rome, hey, we're Christians. What do you do? On Sundays, you gather, you worship. And so the church was planted, basically, by Gentile Christians migrating there and possibly by some Jewish Christians going there so that you have this church and yet no one apostle or leader planted it, all right? Which is kind of cool. Because it means, number two, most likely the church had its origins and therefore its vitality in being planted by the natural multiplication. It was just by multiplication process that was taught 
in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So go, go back to Rome and go do for others what has been done for you. And it was caught by the church at Antioch. Do you realize the church of Antioch in Acts 11 was built the same way? There was no single apostle. It was just Christians getting saved, arriving at Antioch, beginning to share Christ, people getting saved, discipled, baptized, gathering in a church, and it was such a great movement in Antioch, the apostles heard about it in Jerusalem, and they said, hey, Barney, go up there and check this out. Well, it's the same thing probably in Rome. So that Paul was able to go there without building on another man's foundation, and yet, number three, the church was already a healthy, organized church before he wrote to him. So it was already a healthy, organized church for many years at the time that Paul wrote to them. In fact, uh, it says that in, in, uh, in Acts uh, or uh, Romans 15:23, it says, "But now no longer have uh, having a place in these parts and having a great desire for many years." So he's been wanting to go there for many years. So when he writes this letter, he's not writing it to a baby church. He's not writing it to an immature church. He's writing it to a healthy, organized church. And that's number four. The church was mature. The church was mature enough in ministry to assist Paul in his plans to multiply the gospel through missionary work in Spain. Uh, Acts, or uh, why do I keep saying Acts? Romans 15. Romans 15, 13 through 14. Let's look at that. Romans 15 through 14. Romans 15, 13 through 14. Here's their maturity. Here's what he says to him at the end of his letter. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they, are, they are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. They are filled with the Spirit. Look what he says in verse 14. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. He's saying, look, you don't need me to come there to grow you. You're already mature. You don't need more. I didn't write, although he did write 16 chapters. He's saying after writing the greatest manifesto on Christianity, he's like, you already know this. You don't need me to be telling you this. Then he says in verse 15, nevertheless, like any good preacher, I'm going to tell you anyway. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace of God given to to me by God. I'm doing this because it's who God made me to be and you need to be reminded of it. All right. I like that. I like that. Uh, In uh, Romans uh, 15, 24, look down at 15, 24. He says, look, Uh, verse 23, I no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Here's why I'm coming to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. So here he is. He's in Corinth over here in the east. And there over here in Rome in the west and he ultimately wants to go farther west to Spain and so he's saying look 
I want to come to you on my way to preaching the gospel to the farthest parts of the Roman Empire. But I need to rest up, be refreshed, be encouraged, and I want to have fruit among you. Basically saying, I'm coming home on furlough. Or I'm, come, I'm, I'm taking furlough and I want to visit you on the way. Just like these couple, these missionaries that come. The, the Blummers just came through. And they're on their way. They're, they're, they're here in, in, uh, or they're, 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 they're based wherever. They're kind of missionaries end up not having homes. So they kind of base in these different areas. Uh, and they want to come to Kansas City on their way to where? Yeah, to, to their, their place, which I shouldn't say that they're going, okay? Same way with our missionaries. They want to come and be refreshed. So that, that's, that's pretty cool. Number five, the reason Paul uh, saw the church, he saw the church at Rome, he was personally aware of the strategic importance of this city. The strategic importance of the city. And it comes down to this. In the east... The, number, the main church out of which Paul operated was what? The church at Antioch. You can look at that in Acts 11. But, and out of that church, he had gone all throughout the east. And we'll, we'll study more on that next week. Now he's saying, I want to come to Rome in the west, and I want the church at Rome to be for me and to be for the gospel the same thing that the church at Antioch was. I want to have it as my base of operations. Why? Because all roads led to Rome, to and from Rome, right? And the gospel in the book of Acts spread from Jerusalem to Antioch to Rome and from Rome to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, that's the city of Rome. We'll look at the people of the church uh, next week, as well as look an overview of the entire epistle. And so I'm just letting you see the church at Rome, the city of Rome. Here's what I want you to realize. And we just close with this. I want you to realize that in a culture in a city very much like our own, a church was planted, established, and multiplied that had global impact. Our church can be the same. But like the Roman Christians, we need to mature in Christ. We need to be involved in ministry. And when God's missionaries come through and challenge us to partner with them and to be a base of operations to spread out to the world, we need to get on board with that. And we need to become a part of that. And all of our challenges and all of our hang-ups and all of our problems are no excuses in light of the power of the gospel to save all peoples, including us. So that's good stuff, good stuff to be thinking about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that in spite of a culture that constantly tries to squeeze us into its mold, that we can be transformed by the power of the gospel. And you've You've placed us in this church, in this city for a reason. And like the city and the church, the church in Rome, we can be a mature church, a church that ministers to those in need, and we can be a church that multiplies our ministry and spreads the gospel. We, we heard from the Frizzells. We've been visited by the Blummers. 
We've got six choice servants coming in October. Lord, let us take heed to this message from the book of Romans and let us mature to the point to where we multiply the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for each person here, wherever they are spiritually, they can be used of you. They can be grown. They can serve. And they can share. Let us see our potential. And let's realize that potential in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.